Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You just simply trust the Lord. That's when you're reaching that place of maturity. It doesn't mean you understand everything. It just means you trust him more and more because God is right, because God is true, because God is good. And that's the program of heaven. That's the perspective in heaven. God, you are right. You are true. You are good. You know what you're doing. And Lord, we trust you. Notice the fourth vial is poured out in verse 8. And then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat. Notice they weren't consumed by the fire. It was the heat from the sun. And they notice this in verse nine. Amazing. This is amazing. They blaspheme the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Notice that. Now, don't get caught up in all the plagues and all that's going on here and think that God is out of control. Listen, God is not out of control. God is very much in control. He's the one calling the commands here. He is the one giving the orders here. Remember in Revelation chapter 5, it was Jesus who stood. He was the only one worthy to take the scroll and to loose the seals. So as he loosed the seals, the judgments came upon the earth. So it is Jesus who is in complete control, in complete command, and he is sending out the angels. He is the one giving the orders, and this is his judgment. On a Christ-rejecting world, notice the fourth angel has power to turn up the thermostat, and he has power to scorch men. The sun, S-U-N is 93 million miles from the earth. Scientists tell us that it takes eight, eight and a half minutes for the rays of the sun to reach the earth. So when you get up in the morning and you see the sun come up, actually the sun came up eight minutes before you saw it. The sun travels, the light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Now astronomers tell us that before a star or the sun dies, it it implodes or a supernova takes place and then it flares up and it becomes intensely hot. You talk about global warming, this angel has power to scorch men and the people on the earth will need a sunblock of SPF 500. And even that won't protect them from this judgment. And it's interesting, again, the punishment 
fits the crime. Interesting. Those who turn their back on the S-O-N is now experiencing the judgment from the S-U-N. The punishment fits the crime. Well, notice the fifth bowl in verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. This is a localized darkness. And his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And in verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Notice the fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. Now you might remember again when God sent the ninth plague on Egypt, the entire land became dark except for Goshen, G-O-S-H-E-N. That's where the people of God lived. Now in our text here, when the darkness comes over the throne of the beast, the people were in pain and they gnawed or or ground their teeth and chewed their tongues. This is preview of coming attractions. What coming attractions? Hell. This is a preview of hell. Now how much pain do you have to be in before you get to the place of starting to chew on your tongue? It's, it's, it's unconscionable. I mean, that kind of pain, I mean, you know, I remember, and some of you remember when uh, about a year and a half ago, actually, I was out in um, Southern California and uh, at a pastor's conference and and uh, and uh, speaking at the at the Calvary Chapel, Billy, you remember, and because uh, Billy, we were at a radio conference actually, and uh, and uh, and I went on a speaking engagement and and into another part of the city, but before I left, my my gallbladder began to 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 act up, and so even last night, as a matter of fact, I was talking to this couple over dinner, and we were talking about my gallbladder that almost erupted, which is wonderful dinner conversation, but uh, <laughs> I'm talking about my nasty, filthy, infected gallbladder. You know, and so I go, I go to this church, I speak, after I speak, the pastor says, uh, would you like some? I said, yeah, give me some water. And just about that time, my, my stomach started feeling really, really, really bad. And I had no idea. It was just kind of sudden and acute, and I didn't know that it was my gallbladder at the time. But I said to the pastor, I think I'll just go back to the hotel room and just try to relax. And the next day, I was to catch a flight and come on back to North Carolina. So I get to the hotel room. It's about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and my gallbladder just began to give me so much pain. It was awful. And so I'm crawling on the floor. I'm on my cell phone, okay? I'm, I, I'm, like, I'm in so much pain, I can't believe it. I've never experienced anything like this. So I call my wife here. She's here in North Carolina. I call my wife. I'm on my cell phone crawling on the floor in the hotel. I'm like, honey, I'm in so much pain. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And she says, well, honey, just, you know, oh, no, I'm going to die. Really? Oh, God. So she said, just stay right there. I'll, I'll call somebody. So she's here and I'm there, you know. I'll call somebody. So, so, so she hangs up and I, and I, dial, I dial another friend. And I'm like, oh, I'm in so much pain. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. 
So she calls her father in Ohio, who is an internal medicine doctor. He calls me on my cell phone. Ding. Hi. Hey, doc. I'm going to die. Oh, I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. And it was awful. Well, they take me to the emergency room, and, and the doctor tells me that, that, you know, it's my gallbladder, and it has to come out immediately. So I get back some time later, and, and I'm talking to this one brother about this whole event, and, and he said, uh, he said, Rodney, he says, you call all those people? I said, yeah. He says, why didn't you just call 911? I thought, hmm, I never thought of it. <laughs> I mean, I was in so much pain, I never thought of it, you know. But these guys here, they are in so much pain, they start chewing on their tongue. No anesthetic, no painkiller, no coding, nothing stops the pain. The darkness has you so filled with insanity that you start gnawing your teeth and chewing on your tongue. Now, we're not sure whether the pain is emotional pain like depression from the darkness or physical pain that results, that, that's the result of the darkness or a combination of both, but these people can barely speak and they're biting and gnawing on their tongue and on their teeth, yet they are able to form the words to blaspheme God. You see how hard the heart is? You see that? Now this darkness that covered the land, it wouldn't be the first time. I found it interesting. You probably will too. May 19th, 1780, the entire region of North, uh, New England was covered by darkness that lasted several hours. March 19th, 1886, a zone of darkness moved across Oshkosh, Wisconsin causing the people to panic in fear, and some even died from fear and panic, and many had heart attacks. They were so afraid. 1886, they thought it was the end of the world. Something similar happened in Memphis, Tennessee in 1904. 1911, darkness came over Louisville, Kentucky. And of course, we know that darkness covered Jerusalem for three hours when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. Darkness covers the evil throne of the beast, and some people blaspheme God. Notice in verse 12, the sixth bowl, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, underline that, and, it, and its waters were dried up so that the way of the kings from the east, underline that, might be prepared. So the Euphrates dries up, and the kings from the east they have a way of entrance. We'll talk about that. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs. Don't believe every sign. Which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. And notice where they gather in verse 16. They gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. And behold, in verse 15, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now we're coming to the close of the tribulation. Things seem to crescendo 
The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great rivers Euphrates and it was and its waters were dried up so that the ways of the king kings from the east might be prepared. We talked about this in previous studies. The Euphrates is a huge river that divides the Middle East in half. It flows from the mountains of Turkey, runs through Syria and Iraq and empties into the Persian Gulf at the Iranian border. Over the centuries, it's been a natural barrier between the East and the West. The Euphrates is 1,800 miles long, 30 feet deep, and 300 to 1,200 feet wide. If you turn the spigot at the Ashwan Dam and shut off the Euphrates River, you could march military troops across it and come across Asia. Notice the sixth angel caused the waters to dry up to allow the kings of the east to pass through. Who are the kings of the east? Literally, this translates to the kings of the rising sun. The kings of the rising sun. Now, we know that the Japanese people have always referred to themselves as the kings of the rising sun. We know that. Now, many Bible scholars, many Bible commentators believe that this is referring to China and Japan, and they make an alliance together, and then they form an army that wages war against Jesus Christ. We, we know that the president of China in 1965, in an article in Time magazine, boasted of the fact that he is able to field an army of 200 million men, and it would take him five months to do it. That was in 1965. Well, can you imagine? He most certainly can field an army larger than that today. Interesting. And so the kings of the rising sun from the Orient are going to march with an army of 200 million men. Notice these demons who are like frogs call the armies of the world. Now, how they do that, we don't know. Whether through mediums or channel channelers or we don't know. But somehow... These demons call the armies of the world to come to the place of Har Megiddo, H-A-R Megiddo, meaning the mountain of Megiddo. Very important biblical location. Many battles fought in this area. We don't have time to look at it, but if you're taking notes, you can do your homework. Judges chapter 4 and 5, 2 Kings chapter 23. Many important battles were fought in this region. Napoleon, as a matter of fact, looking over this valley of Megiddo, said it was the ideal battlefield on which to gather the armies of the world to engage in battle. And so God is leading this blasphemous nation of men to their ultimate destruction. It's almost like God is saying, okay, no more excuses. The way is clear. I'll take on every single one of you. And we'll talk about that more in chapter 19 as the kings of the earth assemble to make war against the Lord. And then notice in John says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet. And these are the spirits of demons and these demonic spirits will deceive the kings of the earth and the whole world will gather to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The battle is not against nations, nation against nations. No, the battle is against God. Psalm 2 will tell you that. Notice the final bowl in, in verse 17. The seventh and final bowl. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. 
Notice that all the air, the oxygen, the air is affected. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. It is done. And there were noises and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such, uh, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city, some believe that to be Jerusalem. I believe it to be Babylon. Because in chapter 17, chapter 18 of Revelation, we'll talk about the economic, spiritual, and political Babylon. We'll start that study next week. But uh, that's my opinion, and you're free to differ. Many do. Now, the great city in verse 19 was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And then every island fled away. Listen, during the tribulation, do not take a trip to Hawaii. Amen. Because the island will flee away and the mountains were not found. Don't go to mountains either. In great hail in verse 21 from heaven, get this, fell upon men. Each hailstone weighs about 125 pounds, the weight of a talent. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Before you close your Bibles, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. The air will be judged. And a loud voice says, it is done. This is the end of the judgments. The seventh and the final bowl is poured out and there will be no more. And the nations are judged. And the greatest earthquake in history takes place. This is a 10 on the Richter scale. The greatest earthquake in history. The great city was divided. And earth, the earth is shaken. The kingdoms come crumbling down. Hailstones upon the heads of men fall out of the sky, 125 pounds. And it's interesting. The punishment fits the crime. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, the punishment for blasphemy was, guess what? Stoning. And here we see, because of men's blasphemy, Hail stones come down upon their heads, and instead of repenting, you guessed it, sad but true, men blaspheme God. How sad it is. Men blaspheme God in spite of the horrible wars, the terrible famines during the tribulation, darkened skies and raging fires and bloody seas and stinging locusts and demonic persecutions and mighty earthquakes, falling stars, cancerous sores. Men insist on blaspheming God. Now, I believe this is why, this is why I believe that hell is forever. The Bible says that hell is forever. Not a set period of time, forever. Why wouldn't hell possibly be 100 years? I mean, you know, God, I mean, isn't 100 years in hell long enough? Or maybe even 1,000 years. I mean, 1,000 years in hell? 
Wow, I mean, that's a long time. But what about even a million years? God wouldn't a million years be in hell, in hell be, be compensation for my disobedience and my blaspheming God? W- wouldn't that be enough? No, it won't be because notice woven throughout the chapter, even though God judges and punishes, men refuse to repent. And God knows that even coming out of hell after a hundred, a thousand, or a million years, when they were done with their punishment, guess what they would do? Shake their fist at God. That's what the word blasphemy means. It doesn't mean to say curse words, although I wouldn't recommend it to God. It means to shake your fist at God and say, I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. My way, not your way. I will exalt my throne above you, God. That's blasphemy. That's what Isaiah tells us that Satan did in the presence of God. I will be like the most I got. My throne will be above your throne. That's the ultimate blasphemy. And we blaspheme God too when we don't obey God and do what God tells us to do. We shake our fist at him also. And I believe that hell is forever and ever and ever because God knows the end from the beginning. And God knows that even after judgment, we see it very clear here in chapter 16, even after judgment, men won't repent. They'll blaspheme God. Now, in closing, I'm coming in for home. I'm coming in for home. Here it is. Coming in. The Bible. The Bible is the story of two mountains. Simple as that. The Bible's a story of two mountains, and they both deal with the wrath of God. We can see that right here in chapter 16, the mountain of Megiddo, or Har Megiddo. Here in chapter 16, God's wrath is poured out upon those who follow the Antichrist. And we know that there on Mount Calvary, God's wrath was poured out on who? Jesus, his son. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. Both mountains deal with bloodshed. Revelation chapter 14 tells us that during this battle of Armageddon, the blood will flow up to the horse's mane, four feet. Wow, bloodshed. And we know that the blood flows from Jesus' vein there on Mount Calvary. We know that. And both mountains are the place of completion. Did you notice that here in our text? In verse 17, it said, the voice from heaven cries, it is done. And there on Mount Calvary, Jesus was brutalized and he suffered. And he, he suffered, and, and, and they brutalized him, and he bled. And they nailed him to the cross, you know. And as he stood there with his arms stretched out, what did he say before he died? He said, it is finished, or it is done, or it is complete. What's done? The price that needed to be paid for our redemption is done. He's paid the price. It's done. What we can learn from this chapter is man has a choice. Man has a choice whether they would choose to endure the final wrath of the Father at Mount Megiddo 
Or will you choose to grab hold of and embrace the finished work of Jesus on Mount Calvary? What will you choose? I mean, woven throughout all of this, you say, God, isn't this a bit severe? Well, no, not exactly. I mean, how many times have you said to your kids, how come it's okay for us but not okay for God? How many times have you said to your kids, look, one more time, man. One more time and you can get it. Don't make me. I'm going to give it to you. Give it to you good one more time. 45 times later, one more time. That's it. <laughs> well, see, that's what God has been saying all throughout history. Listen, I'm giving you an opportunity one more time. Will you embrace the finished work of Jesus on Mount Calvary or will you endure the judgment that will take place on Har Megiddo? Your choice. You choose. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.